0: Still here! Welcome to the first episode of the Heed Podcast. Today we are going to talk about the first step in the five-step solution development process, which is the learn phase. Every impactful project starts with a clear understanding of the problem you are trying to solve. A good way to learn about the problem is through your stakeholders. But what are stakeholders? Stakeholders are independent parties that can affect or be affected by your project's actions, objectives, and policies. And to guide us on how to identify, engage, and understand stakeholders, we are joined today by a very passionate and energetic speaker. But before I introduce him to you, just a quick story on how I met him. We met back in June, twenty seventeen. So he wasn't around yet. He was launched around uh, July, July, twenty seventeen. So I was attending this maker meetup event in one of the maker spaces in Quezon City, and he happened to be one of the speakers. And when he talked about his student organization, the UP Society of Industrial Designers, or Upside, hi Upside, and how their um, philosophy is service by design. I just knew I had to talk to this guy. So I approached him after his talk, introduced myself, and pitched the idea I had about forming Heed, and asked if his org would be interested to, to meet to talk more about that idea. And the rest was history. <laughs> um, Heed has been working with Upside ever since, together with Engineers Without Borders, another awesome student organization. So, those two student orgs have been with HEED since day zero. So, yeah, I'm very excited to introduce to you our guest for today, Julian Tanaka. Hi, Julian! Hi, Mom Jill! Hello! How's that? How's grad school?
1: (laughs) Um, It's it's doing well. Doing well, in waves, as with everything. You know, sometimes I feel really good about it, but... Sometimes I also feel that's so a good word.
0: <laughs> parang, <laughs> <life lang.
1: laughs> mm, parang life lang. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so sige, it's such a pleasure to have you here in the show. So before we dive into the topic, perhaps you can share with our listeners first a little bit more about yourself. So what you do, your background, where are you right now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Sige. Oh, where do I start? So, I'm Julian, but a lot of my friends knew me as Talit back mm-hmm. in undergrad. I am a graduate um, from UP Diliman Industrial Design. I'm one of the co-founders of Upside, the org that Mom just talked about briefly. And now, I'm doing my post So, I'm doing a Master of Design here in Massey University, Wellington, New Zealand.
0: Yay! <laughs> yeah.
1: So, ano, um, I've been doing my research for six months now. Wow. So I'm, at, I'm at the halfway point of my research. It's a one-year research. And I am trying to find environmentally sustainable alternatives for the sachet packaging industry in the Philippines.
0: Package, sorry,
1: sachet packaging system <laughs> of right. um yeah the bottom of the pyramid economy.
0: Very timely topic. Classic. <laughs> funny story,
1: ma'am. Actually, I think one of the reasons why I couldn't take sachets off my mind was because of the the heat thing that we did before I left for my ah,
0: project West weekend.
1: Project Tastikan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah,
0: nice. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> so now our audience has some idea about who you are and what you do. Um, let's dive into our topic for today. You know? First off, we know that starting a humanitarian engineering project or any impactful project for that matter can be daunting. Can you share with us how you usually start off your research process? Say you have this idea for a project already, or maybe you don't have an idea for a project yet. <laughs> so how do you actually begin working on, <laughs> on, on such a project?
1: Okay, funny because the difference between my undergrad thesis and now my, my master's thesis is that your undergrad thesis, I already, had, I already knew what, what problem I wanted to tackle. Before the thesis started. And this year, I had no idea what I wanted to do when we started our program. And right. so, there were there were very different starting points for me. Mm-hmm. But what I would say I learned so far is that no matter where you're starting, it's important to prepare, 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 prepare before you even go into any type of research work. And by preparing, I mean setting your mindset. Uh And what I think the right mindset is, and this is just based on my personal experience, Mm -hmm. is that one, your ideas are not always going to be original. You have to embrace that fact. And once you do embrace that fact, you'll actually end up having a more meaningful result because you you will be able to push yourself to find studies that have been done on this particular problem before rather mm-hmm. than feeling like you're going to create a whole new solution to mm-hmm. a problem no one's ever thought of before. Okay. That's one. Yeah, Make, like, Embrace the fact that you're not going to be the first person who thought about tackling this problem or improving the solutions that you're maybe thinking about. Mm-hmm. The second mindset is understanding that your research will add to the pool of knowledge
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, that people have already contributed to before. So do not, I mean, of course, like it's good to fuel your passion, right? Na, you know, you want to solve a particular problem and that's what you're here to do. But do not put the weight of the world on your shoulders. Don't, don't think that your research project will f- save the world,
0: That'll be super overwhelming, shoulders. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And that's going to get you stuck um, a lot of the times when you feel like you're not making progress. <laughs> so yeah, get mm-hmm. that weight off your shoulders. Good Understand that there. you're here to contribute. And, and you know the, the, the quality of solutions will be based on the quality of the research that has been done mm-hmm. on certain problems. So yeah, start off with that mindset. Make sure that you have the tools to start your research. Again, this is still part of preparing. Work smart. Don't just keep working hard and long hours without actually making progress. And you'll be able to make the most progress when, one, you have keywords. So keywords are the things, the, the, the words that you'll be putting on your search engines. Uh-huh. So, keywords about the project so that's that's I think that 's a really good place to start. So when you think about the problem, make bullet points like list bullet points of of keywords that you think will lead you to find these pieces of literature that you 'll be reviewing so that you know what 's been done about this problem before and what what the gaps are in 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 the knowledge about the problem. Uh-huh. so once you have those keywords, you also have to understand how search engines work. So I'm not a search engine expert, but some of the things that I've learned in my time here is that there are different places that you should be looking for particular things, and there are places that you shouldn't be looking into for particular things. So since this is an academic research project, you should be looking at search engines that are likely to have scholarly literature. So with UP, I believe that OPAC for the library. If you're looking for something specifically about the Philippines and studies by UP students about this certain project or problem, then that's the best place to look for literature, right? And if you're looking for a more worldly view of studies, then you should be looking at Google Scholar. And from my understanding, your UP email address will give you access to that or any wherever university you're studying, um, app will give you some access to the paywalls through the paywalls that you can find on Google Scholar. And when you look, when you look at these places, you have to understand the hacks also of how to lessen. So you, Your goal when you're, when you're searching through these engines is to lessen the, the search results as much as you can so right. that you know that you're really hitting the spots of those topics you're looking to review.
0: Right, because Um, if if you search in Google, right, millions of results come out in a matter of seconds. So
1: how do you (laughs) Yeah. So honestly in undergrad I didn't really I didn't know how to do the literature review because it seemed like an impossible task.
0: So what are these what are these hacks that you usually
1: (laughs) Yeah. So to make sure that you don't open infinite numbers of tabs and fall into the rabbit hole of, of all these articles. <laughs> what you do is okay, I'll share three tips, Seguro. Uh, okay. Um, first is using quotation marks to create parameters okay. on your search. For example, with my project, if you just type Sachet Packaging mm-hmm. without enclosing that in quotation marks, it will search anything that has sachet, anything that has packaging, and everything that has sachet packaging in it. That's, mm-hmm. that's what creates like the millions of results that, <laughs> that you get in the first second of being on Google. But if you put sachet and packaging within the quotation mark, you'll get much less. So mm. if I try that right now, actually on Google, sachet packaging without quotation marks gives me 16 million results. Um, and sachet packaging within mm-hmm. quotation marks gives me 277,000 results.
0: Nice. So okay. that's
1: a huge difference, right? The second hack that I will tell you about is using all caps N, as in and as an A and B or all caps or. Okay. So confusing. <laughs> Hard um, without visuals. So well, so. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay,
1: so you, you compound that, you, you add that onto the, the quotation mark technique. So, so if I just searched um, sachet packaging within quotation marks and Plastic waste within the same within another quotation mark, I get eight thousand five hundred and sixty revolts. But if I put all caps and in between coat sachet packaging and coat and plastic waste within the same coat,
0: uh-huh.
1: I yield, it's not much of a difference, but it goes down to eight thousand two hundred revolts.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So if you keep compounding the techniques then you'll get less and less and less results. The third technique that I'll share is using asterisk.
0: Okay.
1: Para sa mga hulapi.
0: What's hulapi, hulapi. in English?
1: <laughs> when, 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 you're, when you're a foreigner in studying in an English-speaking country, you, they say that you experience this thing called bilingual, as in B-Y-E-lingual. Oh <laughs> anyway, sideline. Um, okay. but using quotation marks for your hulapis <laughs> for your shons and errs and stuff. So for example, if you're looking into water filtration, sometimes articles will have filtration, sometimes articles will have filtered or filtering, or if you're looking at sustainable, there's sustainability, sustain sustainable what you do is you, you replace those last parts with um, an asterisk so mm-hmm. that it finds anything and everything that has that base word, mm-hmm.
0: okay. that root word. So, so you, that can will compound also the, result. you can compound the quotation marks and then add the asterisk as well?
1: Yes. Yes, yes within okay. those quotation marks so okay. that it captures the whole thing. And then, of course, on top of that, there's your very basic filters, timeline filters, so if you filter it to all the literature that's been written in the past five years, then you'll definitely mm-hmm. get less results. And then, of course, you watch out for the resources mm-hmm. um, if you think they're reliable or not. You always have to take everything with a grain of salt.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's
1: it for Google Hacks. Google Hacks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Google hacks. <laughs> all right. So what do you do with, say, you found these papers on Google and stuff? Mm. What do you do with... Yeah
1: papers mm. okay so what I do is there are two things on this matter right first I have to have a guide on what I'm doing at the moment uh-huh. and what I'm supposed to be picking up on after and then the second is I have to have a matrix of all the things that I've found a library so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm basically like imagine a digital shelf right. um, that I'm trying to fill with the, all the books that are r- relevant to my research or all the papers, the articles that are relevant to my research. Mm-hmm. So first, yung, the guide, I use for this research specifically, I use the double diamond um, design method. So okay. it's, imagine two diamonds side by side. And so sometimes you're moving towards the outside. So you're expanding out. You're trying to explore. Mm-hmm. So that you, using all your keywords and finding all these articles about your problem. And then two, when you reach that point of exploring, when you finish exploring, you zoom in and you start defining things. So you look into them closely. So I guess in a simpler way, you could say that you're trying to narrow things down. So this is where you eliminate Mm -hmm. all the things that you've skimmed through that you think are not so relevant to your research paper or to your your project. And this is also where you start copy-pasting excerpts from articles that are relevant to your topic, putting it on your matrix, Making sure you you have you can you can find where that specific information is from, so adding a title mm-hmm. of the article, the author, the year it was written, and even the the link to the article that you found will be very mm-hmm. helpful later on. And of course, like a notes tab so that you can sort of earmark what this is about, if it's trying to describe the marketing behind sachet packaging or the history of um, sachet packaging or if it's talking about the decision factors of like the buyers mm-hmm. like what makes them buy what um, stuff like that so you're just trying to collect and collect and collect things that you will later use to build or to paint a picture of your context of what's going on here and where can I help
0: mm-hmm. okay okay and then, I imagine from this matrix that you have, you'll start to identify who the players are in, in mm. this project that you're working on, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that segues into the stakeholder list, right? Because mm-hmm. as, you read, as you read through all these articles and you know, skim through most of them, just look at chapters that are relevant to your stuff. Like Don't. <laughs> Don't try to read everything. Yeah, don't read for
0: word.
1: You're not, you're not God. <laughs> you won't <laughs> be able to do that. What you do, what 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 will then happen is that it will start to paint a vague picture for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's your job, of course, to start noting down like the groups and the people that are involved in this system. There's mm-hmm. always going to be a system around any product and any problem, right?
0: right. It,
1: if it's if it's sachets in in my experience, I found out through all the articles that I read that you know there is such a thing called sachet marketing, and so there will be an expert on that and of course there's the c e o of the multinational corporations
0: mm-hmm. who
1: create these packaging and these products, and the branches of these corporations, like what are the different products that Unilever owns? CEOs of, of those particular the leaders, the team leaders of those particular brands, and then there will be supermarket owners, there will be manufacturers, there will be sari-sari store owners, and then there will be your consumers, mm-hmm. and then there will be those outside the consuming system, those people who pick up after the, the trash right. in, in the landfills and stuff. And so it starts to build the world that revolves around the product. Or the problem. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's how you slowly narrow it down. And it's okay. important that you keep listing that as you go. Because later on, you'll be mapping those in timelines. Uh-huh. So like, as they happen, who interacts with who? So obviously, the satisfied store owner does never actually interact with the CEO of Unilever, mm-hmm. right? They never actually interact with the manufacturer of the sachets. shades So mm-hmm. who, who interacts with who what decisions are made in those interactions when do they interact with the product and what sorts of problems and you know triumphs victories happen in those interactions as well
0: okay yeah now that we're on the topic of interactions no once you identify the st- stakeholders, so you have that list already, you've mapped them mm-hmm. out, how do you engage these stakeholders? Because I imagine as a designer or a problem solver in general, empathy is crucial. So mm. can you share with us some ways by which you engage or empathize with your stakeholders?
1: Yeah. Well, of course, there are many different methods, right? Of okay. trying to engage with your stakeholders. But before you even Engage with your stakeholders, you have to also zoom out again. So, again, basta is a diamond, double diamond process, right? And it just keeps going and going and going. Like, it's not actually a double diamond, it's like an infinity diamond. <laughs> so, you, you, you try to define again, like, what methods you're going to use in terms of designing, right? And the particular method that I chose in my project is user experience design method. That's when I understood that before I even interact with my stakeholders, I know that what I want to get out of them is data for me to build my persona and to build my journey map. So it's not just an arbitrary trying to connect with your stakeholders just in case I have any other follow-up questions in the future. It's Mm -hmm. not a networking thing. You still have to work smart Mm -hmm. um, in terms of identifying who you want to interact with. Mm -hmm. And of course, I know in this world of COVID now, it's hard to set up interviews. It's mm-hmm. hard to set up observations, immersions. Again, there are de- many different methods
0: mm-hmm. in
1: engaging with stakeholders. But you can do these things if you are creative without having to face them face-to-face. Right. So with me, I watched lots of vlogs of Sari Sari store owners. And mm-hmm. so like I still got to observe what they were doing without actually having to talk to them. And I also was able to set up Zoom interviews. I guess if I could leave you with tips based on my experience and what I've read from the user experience design method is that one don't if you're trying to build personas, okay, don't ever ask the stakeholder what they think the pain points are, what they think the problem is, or what they think the design should be, or what they think about the design prototype that you already have
0: oh, okay? Okay. Is it,
1: yeah, based on based on. Alan Cooper, Kim Goodwin, and all the other writers on user experience the user experience design method, your users will actually not know what problems are relevant to design specifically. Okay. And there will always be many, many stakeholders. Again, there's a system around any product, any problem. And you will never be able to satisfy everyone mm-hmm. um, with your design. So case studies written by from experiences of Alan Cooper. Are, for example, if you were to create an ultimate car that's accessible for everyone, that's affordable for everyone, that's good quality, that will satisfy all the stakeholders,
0: mm-hmm. you'll come up
1: with a really ugly car that no one will buy. And people always <laughs> buy based on their desire. Right? I'm starting to imagine.
0: What the car would yes, look like. <laughs>
1: exactly. So if you were to try to satisfy a CEO who usually likes sports cars and like based on stereotypes, right? A
0: yeah. soccer
1: mom who usually needs an SUV to fit all the kids. Yeah. Um, and then a person in a wheelchair who needs a low-hanging car possibly to get on the car safely and easily. Mm-hmm. And then there's the undergrad, a uh, college student or a young person a young professional who needs an affordable car. If you mm. satisfy all of those with features, with many different features, no one will buy your car. It won't be able to create the impact that it's meant to create.
0: Okay.
1: So yeah, understand what you're gathering data for. I know, I know that you're probably gonna use personas for your, for your project. But yes. Yeah, like, Don't ask them directly. Always collect data from these interviews and observations to create your personas. And Mm -hmm. your personas are imaginary, inelastic people who have their own separate goals and concerns. And they're going to act as your sounding board when you're trying to create your design. So I know it's a common problem to experience, especially in group works, where you sort of debate what features you want to add. If you've ever heard something along the lines of, ah, maybe this will work if, or what if we put this, or what if this and that. And that's Mm -hmm. a never-ending debate. But if you debate based on what your persona wants and what works for your persona, for your main persona, then you will say that, oh, actually, persona A has arthritis. And so we have to accommodate that. And persona A also, their main concern is to save money. And so that's the feature that we have to focus on creating so that the pers- it works for the persona,
0: right. and
1: based on their experiences, if you design for one persona uh, mainly, it will set you up for success.
0: And before we uh, sorry, mm, yeah.
1: sorry go ahead,
0: go ahead. <laughs> I mean before we uh, go into personas deeper,
1: yeah.
0: I just want to yeah. go back first on the yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. um, engaging stakeholders part. I imagine that some people might be really good at, say, gathering data, but then once Mm -hmm. they have all these data, you know they have hundreds of data or maybe thousands of data. How do you organize it effectively in such a way that it's easier to create the persona?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So again, according to my resources, the people that I'm referencing, which is mostly Alan Cooper, you have to be present in your interview or immersion or observation. You have to write heaps and heaps of notes and it would they, they usually prefer that it be in codes. And you have to, you know, of course note when this happened and like in what process this was happening. So mm-hmm. for example, if it was in the context of a Farisari store, was this happening as they were transacting with a customer? Was this happening as they were preparing their store, like their displays for the day to start? before the day starts and don't rely on recorded videos because according to them it will make you lazy in terms of being present because you think that you'll always have the video to look back on so write lots and lots and lots of notes and then transfer those notes in individual sheets of paper so that you can you can lay it Mm -hmm. out and move it around when you're trying to organize your data at the end of the day
0: yeah like like a visual board of sorts right?
1: Yes, if you have post-its, fine. Yes. If you don't, because I know they're on the more expensive side of things and they're not, they're not strictly speaking, yeah. environmentally friendly, you can use scratch paper, but use a marker so that you can see things clearly and then lay it out on the floor with your groupmates, if you get okay. to see your groupmates. Or there are always, there are digital platforms, although they're not... Jamboard! Up, yeah, Jamboard and Jam- What's important <laughs> is you put everyone's um notes together. Mm-hmm. in one visual board. And then that's when you sort of start to organize things. So it's up to you, Deba, right? Like what system you want to put in place there. Do you color code the paper for each stakeholder that you want to identify it with? Do you want to mm-hmm. put everything on the floor and then mark, mark with colored dots? So for example, red dots for pain points, blue dots for points of interaction with the product, green dots for mm-hmm. you know points that they... they they found really easy to do on um, mm-hmm. things like that so that okay. when you zoom out you'll be able to see where to look when you're trying to solve a particular problem.
0: Alright. Nice. Yeah. Very practical advice there. So now we'll go back to the persona. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I got a bit so so about the, the persona. <laughs> no problem. So maybe we can define first uh, for our mm-hmm. listeners what a persona yeah. is.
1: Okay so defining it in my own words based on everything that i've learned put together and based on what mm-hmm. i've used in my research personas are preferably imaginary imaginary people that represent a certain type of stakeholder so they're mm-hmm. not your average like everyone put together because that's impossible they have to be inelastic meaning you know it's like it's like you as a person you have your own preferences and Most of the time, that won't change when it's already, when you've decided that those are your preferences, right? They have to be believable and as realistic as possible. So that if you, for example, role play within your group, you assign someone a persona, they will be able to voice out what this persona needs and what this persona wants based on a mock client interview, if you will. Mm -hmm. And their purpose is they serve as your sounding board when making design decisions. And that's really important because it keeps you focused. It makes your design goal-oriented and grounded on one goal, which is like satisfying your persona. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, they have some case studies that they showed in this book. By the way, the book that I always refer to is um, The Inmates Are Running the Asylum or Designing for the Digital Age by Kim Goodwin. And one of the case studies they put on here is the stroller, the success story of the luggage, the luggage stroller. Mm -hmm. So when they were designing the stroller, they were only focusing on their main persona, which is a flight attendant.
0: Okay. Right?
1: That that was the job of the persona.
0: Okay.
1: And it became a huge success.
0: Yeah. Um, Everyone uses it it now.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And see, like, it created huge impact. Mm-hmm. in in the world because now you can travel without having to carry all your stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have to drag it around. Um it was designed specifically for for flight attendants. On the other side of the coin there was the Ram Dodge pickup truck. When they were designing that, they tried doing an FGD a focus group discussion and 8 out of 10 of their participants hated the car. Like they absolutely said that they would not buy it. Okay. And it turned out to be one of their best sellers.
0: Oh wow. Because Surprise. They focused
1: on the two. Which, you know, which were more or less represented by the personas that they created out of those 2
0: mm-hmm.
1: It was targeted, it was goal oriented. And it became successful and it created impact.
0: Nice. That was all very interesting, Julian. I'm sure our, our listeners have picked up practical tips regarding identifying engaging and understanding their stakeholders Mm -hmm. Um, thank you very much for sharing (laughs) your time and insights with us today but uh, before we let you go do you have anyone to greet do you want to give a shout out or plug anything Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, well uh, like like I said my
1: life is pretty routinary right now (laughs) (laughs) God, okay. because so, it's very serious. I mean, I'm taking it very, very seriously, seriously because I'm really passionate about the project. So what I do is I I go to school, I go to work, <laughs> and then I go home. What I don't know if my partner will ever read this. Uh, <laughs> perhaps I'll just shout out to her because yes. she's been such a great support person. Um, and yeah, I. She inspires me to learn more and more.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. nice. And it's good that uh, she's there with you in, in New Zealand. Mm,
1: yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. And siguro, if, if I were to advertise anything, I would say that if you're considering doing a post abroad, mm-hmm. um, I would say I would really recommend Massey University here in Wellington because not only is it in New Zealand, <laughs> the absolutely best place to be in right now right. Um, with all the COVID stuff. It's also, it ranks within the top 100. It's a QS World ranking for art and design subject specific. You know, all all New Zealand universities are within the top 3%, I think. Um, but yeah, the experience here has been really, really great so far. And if, if you're thinking about studying here, I don't know, give me give me a shout and, you know, I can give you some tips In terms of like, what to do to prepare to set up yourself for success.
0: Oh, wow. All right, cool. Where where can they reach you? Do
1: you have LinkedIn or, I don't know, Messenger? Yeah, I do have LinkedIn. I would say reach out to me there.
0: Yeah, okay. So, look for Julian Tanaka on LinkedIn. (laughs) Okay. Cool. Thank you so much again, Julian. All the best in grad school. Don't be so serious. Don't forget to have fun and enjoy. (laughs) Hope to talk to you soon again. Thank you. Thank (laughs) Thank you, mom. Thanks so much for tuning in. You may subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so that new episodes are delivered to you automatically. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you may write to us at heed.ph at gmail.com. Your feedback will help us improve the show. Again, this is Jill Manapat and you've been listening to The Heed Podcast.